And let's turn in our Bibles this morning to um, the book of Genesis chapter 12 this morning. Sunday morning in a series entitled Gleanings from the book of Genesis. If you're with us this morning and without a Bible, just wave uh, to these guys coming up the aisle right now. They have uh, Bibles and they'll get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Genesis chapter 12, and we pick things up in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land, speaking of the land of Canaan. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Now, if he had stopped there, um, things would have been much better for him. Uh, But he didn't. Uh, Story of our lives, gentlemen. Uh, Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. And please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. And so it was when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh himself. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, that is his harem. And he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, uh, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Uh, Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. And now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. And so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and brought with him to the south, that is, back into Canaan. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he went Uh, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And so the place, uh, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that All that is recorded in the Old Testament is for our instruction. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit now and give us a hunger for your truth to hear from you. We pray that you would use this passage to speak into uh, the specific of our Christian lives, the things that we need to hear for what we're facing and engaged in today, and then equip, Lord, for what Uh, we will run into in the remainder of our pilgrimage. We pray for this work of your Holy Spirit through your Word in our lives this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the the title of this morning's message, I've entitled it, The Anatomy of a Good Man's Blunder. And... uh, 
In these uh, verses, we have a record of one of uh, Abram's uh, great blunders, one of his great flubs. It won't be his last, but uh, it is certainly very, very large and uh, certainly a record of, uh, of one of Abram's great sins. Uh, of course, when God records these verses in the Scripture, being as discreet as He is about anybody's sins, Abram's are ours. The only reason that he makes it public in the way that he does in a book that will outlive the heavens and the earth is in order that you and I might be instructed uh, by uh, this failure uh, of his, this blunder of his, and, uh, and uh, in order to uh, avoid the same mistakes that he made uh, in the situation. Concerning how to uh, handle our own failures, in our Christian life and in our Christian service, and then also how to uh, kind of process the failures and the shortcomings of other Christians, as we will certainly be exposed uh, to that, uh, and they regarding us in the course of our Christian lives and, and in our Christian service. Because if I don't learn how to properly deal, uh, if we don't learn that, how to properly deal with our own failure in the course of our Christian life and service, and if we don't learn how to deal with the failures of other Christians in their Christian life and in their Christian service, uh, then we're going to have no hope for any kind of longevity, uh, in, certainly in Christian service, and probably will be stumbled mightily in our own Christian life. Because our own shortcomings and imperfections and those, uh, uh, those of others will drive us out of Christian service. It will drive us even out of fellowship within a local church and, and harm our, our Christian walk. If we expect perfection of our own self and our Christian life and service, uh, when we fall short of that standard, and we will fall short uh, of that standard, uh, then it can send us into this uh, reeling kind of uh, plummeting uh, condemnation. And uh, worse than, uh, than even that is that we will uh, proceed to uh, set our Christian life up in such a way uh, as to eliminate any element of uh, the Christian life from my life that possesses a, a high risk of failure. And uh, Christian service, humanly speaking, uh, from that vantage point, it uh, possesses a very high risk of, of, of failure. And, uh, and, and so, including our Christian service and obeying God's call upon our lives. I'll never forget, I mentioned it a few number of times through the years, I'll never forget being either in my fifth grade or sixth grade elementary school class, and um, the teacher returned, I think there were about 32 kids in the classroom, uh, returned to us the corrected tests that we had taken, tests that we had taken the previous day. And uh, upon all of us receiving the test, there was a, a, a classmate of mine, a, a girl, and uh, a couple rows over and uh, to my left. And she just began to break down and uh, started to just uh, weep and sob convulsively in her seat. And she was trying to 
compose herself, and obviously it's very, very embarrassing for her, but uh, she couldn't compose herself. And uh, I wondered, what in the world has happened to this girl from one moment to the other? And I found out later that it was the first time in her life that she had received a grade on a test that was less than an A. And uh, she did not know how to handle it uh, in her life. And of course, she had put an impossible expectation upon herself, the expectation of perfection, and, uh, uh, and that will be the result for any of us. This doesn't mean that as Christians that, uh, that we uh, don't aim at obeying all of God's commandments perfectly or that we fail to aim to follow Jesus' example in the Christian life perfectly uh, that, and fully. That's what we want to aim at. But we do that with the knowledge that we are going to fall short uh, in that aim and in that goal uh, at times. You remember when Jesus w was asked by the disciples, to, they said, teach us how to pray, Lord. And, and then he proceeded to give them what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And there is a line in that prayer that, uh, that declares uh, for us to pray to, to God and forgive us our debts, that is our sins, as we forgive uh, our debtors, those who have sinned uh, against us. It is a daily prayer because it includes a request for daily bread. And it indicates the fact that on a daily basis, we will uh, be in need of God's forgiveness in our own lives and the forgiveness of others, and we will be in need of extending forgiveness uh, to other people. And that's an important uh, expectation that we need to bring in our relationships with, uh, with other people. In other words, try as we might as a Christian. Uh, as determined as we might be as Christians to, uh, to be completely obedient to God's Word, we will fall short of it on a daily basis. In some way, we will be less than perfect. We will be less than like Jesus in our actions, in our speaking, in our thoughts, uh, in our feelings, in our motivations. And if we, if we not only fail to accept this as the truth about ourselves, but we fail to accept this as the truth about every other single person in the world, including Christians, and including Christians who are involved in Christian service, and then we end up being stumbled by any and every imperfection that we witness uh, in, in their uh, lives or disappointed uh, by it, uh, then it's very important for us to realize that the problem uh, supremely uh, isn't with their imperfections. Uh, the problem and the cause of my stumbling uh, is that I am putting an impossible expectation upon uh, others. First John chapter 1, verse 8, John wrote and he said, uh, two Christians, by the way, if we say that we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, of our relationships with other Christians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God 
in Christ forgave you. Now, clearly, a person who would write that, as Paul did, uh, did not enter into any relationship with any human being, uh, even if those human beings are Christians, uh, with the expectation uh, of, of perfection. Now, let's look at this account by uh, looking at uh, several uh, lessons we can learn from Abram's uh, blunder here. Notice in verse 10, we remember that God called Abram uh, to travel from uh, Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan, uh, the land of Israel, which he did. But upon arriving now into the land, into the promised land, uh, he arrives there, and Canaan is in the midst of a famine. And it's not in the midst of just uh, any old famine, as bad as any old famine can be. Uh, we're told that it was a, seer, a zephyr famine, uh, a severe famine. I don't know what that other word was that I said, but I got it right the second time. And uh, it's the dental work, you know. Uh, it still cost me a fortune, but, uh, but... And so this famine, and any famine, of course, is very, very serious uh, business. So a famine, and none of us have known a famine probably in our lifetimes, a famine for our education is not missing lunch. Uh, a famine and a severe famine is when uh, uh, that's the kind of thing where people, large amounts of people, cannot find enough food in order to uh, sustain life. And so this is something that was absolutely uh, life-threatening. Uh, people die from severe famines. And, and Abram, kind of being new to Canaan, uh, he's absolutely at the bottom rung in terms of the food chain in Canaan. I mean, all of the food that would be available in Canaan would be eaten by the Canaanites. Uh, there wasn't going to be anything that was going to make it, its way all the way down to this immigrant that's come into the land, uh, promise of God or no promise of God. This is a stranger. This is a pilgrim. And so uh, his situation is dire. There won't even be food for him uh, to, to purchase. And I think it's important uh, that we don't minimize the seriousness of the circumstance that Abram finds himself in, uh, or else we'll miss uh, the lesson of his life. But the fact of the matter is, is that neither Sarah, uh, Sarai or Abram were in any danger of starving to death in Canaan. Uh, no matter how great the famine uh, might have been or it might become, because as we saw last time in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God promised to him uh, many, many wonderful things, and these promises had not yet been accomplished. Uh, God had promised to make a great nation of him, speaking of the Jewish people. Uh, God had promised to bless the entire earth uh, by virtue of his bloodline, by bringing a Messiah and a Savior into the world. That would require uh, an extended bloodline. That would require a child for that to happen, uh, something that neither Abram uh, nor Sarai had. And I think that here we learn that we can encounter a tremendous difficulty in the course of obeying God's call upon our lives, that we can encounter 
tremendous suffering in the will uh, of God. Uh, even when we are right smack dab in the middle of God's will, that being in God's will does not exempt us from suffering or, or from uh, very, very serious and difficult uh, circumstances. And I think that sometimes we can have the idea that if we're in God's will for our lives, uh, that we're obeying God's calling upon our lives, uh, that our lives should now be marked by relative peace and, and, uh, and blessing. After all, here is Abram. He's left his homeland. He's left his culture. He's left his family. He has left the financial security of, of, uh, of his, his homeland and uh, made the journey to Canaan and a tendency to look at it as maybe even he might have and said, hadn't he sacrificed enough? Couldn't uh, a person who's already made those kind of sacrifices in their lives to enter into the will of God uh, for their lives in terms of Christian service now expect that that Christian service would be one that would be, by comparison, uh, relatively easy? and relatively uh, trouble-free. But if we bring that expectation uh, uh, to uh, God's will uh, in, in, in His calling when in our lives, we're going to be sorely disappointed because God doesn't promise uh, that to us. doesn't promise it to us as Christians, and He doesn't prop, uh, promise uh, a trouble-free life or a disaster-free uh, life even as we're obedient to Him and his call upon uh, our lives. Jesus, who knew something about suffering in the will of God, uh, declared to us as his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Uh, the Apostle Paul, again, who knew something about suffering in the will of God, uh, declared as he was making a journey with Barnabas and revisiting the various cities on the mission uh, uh, journey that he had uh, been on. And they went from uh, city to city, strengthening, we're told in Acts 14, the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It'll only be after this life that will be freed from difficulty and, and trial. So Abram it, it here is about to discover a great truth uh, concerning suffering while in the will of God. And that is that as hard as staying in the will of God can be, and sometimes staying in the will of God for our lives in terms of calling can be very difficult, but it's always good, uh, important to remember that as hard as that is, there is something even harder, and that is to abandon God's will uh, for my life and uh, move out of His will and His plan uh, for our lives. And perhaps you sit here this morning, a handful of us maybe in a room this size, and uh, the will of God for your life has become very difficult. It's all kinds of trials. 
And here you are, you look at it, and you see all of the sacrifices that you make in order to obey Him, obey the calling, and the least He could do is uh, make this relatively trouble-free, and yet it isn't. Uh, To serve the Lord has just brought greater difficulty in your life, and you're tempted with the thought of of abandoning uh, it and taking your life back under your own control in order to try and escape the hardship. Don't do it, because it will end disastrously. There is no uh, safer place, uh, no more peaceful place in all of life uh, than to be in the middle of God's will, however great the difficulties. And Abram is going to find that out the hard way. He's going to reach a point in this whole progression where he is going to long uh, to be back in Canaan in the middle of the famine Uh, when life was far less complicated than the life he produced by taking his life back under his own control and heading down uh, into Egypt. We notice in in verse 10 that uh, Abram made the decision now to depart from Canaan. That's where God had called him to go, uh, and, and and Canaan was the known will of God for him. God didn't say, go to Canaan on your way to Egypt. There's no mention of Egypt, no mention of him going uh, to, to uh, uh, Egypt. But because of the famine, uh, humanly speaking, naturally speaking, it, it only made sense to uh, go to the land of Egypt. Uh, Egypt was largely immune to famine. Uh, in the ancient world. It's one of the reasons it was the breadbasket of the ancient world, because it didn't depend upon uh, rainfall supremely for its crop and for its agriculture. Uh, It had the blessing of the Nile River with which to irrigate, and so there was food, there was bread, sustenance down uh, in, in Egypt. Significantly, we notice in our account there's no mention of prayer on Abram's part. Uh, There's no mention of him building an altar, seeking the Lord, talking to him about how difficult the circumstances are, and God, what's the latest word from you on what I'm supposed to do? In the middle uh, of all of this, he doesn't call upon the name of the Lord. None of that is a part of this decision that he makes to go down uh, into Egypt. And of course, prayerless uh, decision-making always results in additional hardship, and it always results in uh, greater uh, difficulty and regret coming into our lives, especially when those decisions that we're uh, about to make and we're in the process of making are uh, in direct violation of what God told us to do uh, previously. And so what Abram's doing here now is, is he is allowing his life to be driven. Uh, by circumstances rather than by, uh, by uh, the will of God. And uh, I think we all understand the temptation to have our decision-making be driven by circumstances rather than by God. We recognize it from our own walk with the Lord, and that's why the lesson is so important for us. Uh, there uh, is this idea that we can have uh, concerning uh, God's commandments and and Christian service, that we're to obey Him uh, as long as it's easy. Uh, But as soon as it gets hard, and as soon as it gets really, really hard, 
to obey his word or his call upon our lives, then somehow we're free to take our lives back under our own control and, and to start making our own decisions. And uh, I'll never forget a counseling session, a very uh, dear, sweet Christian woman years ago uh, down on 10th and F, and she was in a very, very difficult situation. And uh, I listened to her, and, um, and I happen to be a really nice guy when I counsel people, uh, not like I am in the pulpit. And, uh, and listened to her, and I then began to uh, explain to her uh, what it was that the Bible had to say about what she needed to do in the middle of this circumstance. And she listened to me patiently for a short period of time, and then she interrupted me and she blurted out, she said, that's the Bible, this is real life. And uh, she's a real Christian, and, uh, and as I said, a sweet, a sweet lady. But sometimes circumstances be- can become so intense that they can uh, take us to that kind of place where we feel like this doesn't work anymore. I've already tried his way. And uh, things have only gotten harder, and that somehow we can uh, take our life back under our control. And we need to be very, very careful when we feel that, that temptation. Abram is about to find out, and all of us who follow his, uh, his example, uh, that trying to fix his problems by disregarding God's word and God's will by now trying to address his problems on the basis of his own wisdom uh, only leads to bigger problems. And, uh, and as we're going to see here, uh, to much, much bigger problems. And I'll let you keep uh, the amen that is in your heart, if you've ever been there, uh, to the privacy of your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, very well-known passage of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding, there it is, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, that is God, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And so this morning, if you find yourself in the middle of uh, a crisis and uh, you are now beginning to make decisions based solely upon the circumstances that you're facing, solely based upon your own uh, uh, wisdom, as opposed to seeking God in prayer. If there is no prayer behind uh, the decisions that you're making, uh, you do not have the mind of God concerning the decisions that you're, that you're making. Uh, Abraham teaches us to just stop right now in, in all of that and to stay with what God told you last. Uh, seek Him new and afresh in prayer uh, for uh, what is His wisdom, what is His direction now uh, in the circumstances that you find yourself in. And don't make a move until you have discovered his mind and his will in the situation. It seems like a very basic kind of truth, but it's one of those truths we lose sight of in the panic of a, a big situation. And uh, we ca- the passage this morning can be save, uh, saving some of us from 
great, great mistakes that we're in the middle of making and can stop at this moment. We also notice in verses 11 through 13 that as Abram was uh, close to entering into Egypt, that a, uh, he was gripped by fear. And he was gripped by a very specific fear. And the fear is given to us in verses 11 and 12. His uh, wife, Sarah, uh, who was traveling with him, was a very, very beautiful woman. And uh, he feared that once we leave Canaan, where God told me to go, and we go into Egypt, uh, that we don't know about that culture, we don't know how they view people, uh, we don't know the respect for uh, human life or marriage or uh, sexual immorality or what standard is there at all. And so uh, Abram feared that when the Egyptians saw the beauty uh, of Sarai, that uh, they would desire her for themselves and they would kill him as her husband and then uh, one of them would take her for his uh, wife. And so apparently uh, in Egypt his understanding was they had a concern about uh, adultery, uh, not taking another man's wife, but uh, no real concern about murder. Uh, so the, these things that we can work through in our minds. So, uh, and, and this was a real fear, of course. You put yourself in his place, and here you have this stranger. He's completely vulnerable. He's coming into a foreign land and uh, uh, with a beautiful wife. And at that time, uh, who knew what would happen to the husband in that situation? There's many parts of the world that are like that uh, yet today. And so uh, we see how his kind of self-willed determination to leave Canaan for Egypt, it is getting messier and messier by the verse here uh, and more and more complicated. And that's always always the case when I leave God's will for my life. It seems like it will uh, uncomplicate things, uh, but it never does. It always makes things uh, messier, and sin it can become very messy. In, in verse 13, you notice the plan that Abram came up with uh, in order to deal with this complication. And he presents his plan. Uh, I, I shouldn't laugh, but I, I'm sure it's uh, just inconceivable to me. But. Uh, the, he presents the plan uh, to Sarai, and he, and he explains to her uh, that for his own physical welfare, that uh, upon entering now into Egypt, that if anyone were to ask about their relationship, that they wouldn't tell anyone that, that they were husband and wife, uh, but that they were brother and, and uh, sister. Uh, now, one of the glaring problems uh, with, this, uh, with this plan, uh, other than the fact that you'll be in marriage counseling for the rest of your life if you ever pull something like this uh, on your wife, but one of the many problems with the plan is that, is that while it would keep Abram from being killed, uh, in order to, for someone to uh, attain Sarai, uh, the plan contained no uh, protection uh, from someone seeing her, being attracted to her, and then simply taking her as his wife without any kind of a hesitation at all. So the entire plan protects him and offers no protection to uh, her.
And of course, uh, this is precisely what, what happened. And here, I think we learn uh, uh, the third lesson to learn from Abram's uh, blunder here is to never make a decision based upon fear. To ba- make a decision based upon fear in general, and certainly not to make a decision on the basis of fear of a circumstance that we find ourselves in or uh, fear of man. And, uh, and, and fear and greed are very, very powerful motivators in decision-making. Uh, the overwhelming majority of advertisements that you will see in a magazine or online or on the television, just look at it. And, uh, and, uh, and almost always, certainly the majority of times, what, uh, what is being used by the advertisers on us is to produce either fear or greed within our lives. Uh, if we don't uh, do this or make this phone call or whatever, we'll die of cancer or we'll die of this or if we don't get this medication or, or we'll go into retirement and die of starvation and, and then the, the greed of whatever's put in front of us. And these are powerful, powerful motivations in the human life. And they recognize that and they manipulate that in order to, uh, to, to take money, uh, uh, make money. But it's important to understand that God never uses a carnal fear. He never uses fear or greed to lead us in life. So the moment I start to feel uh, a motivation of greed has entered into a situation, and, uh, or, yes, if I do this, then this could happen and that, and then I wouldn't have to depend upon him for the rest of my life to provide me with daily bread. I'd be taken care of forever. And we get into this, uh, this, uh, this offer that was, uh, seemed too good to be true uh, because it was too good to be true and proceed to lose everything. So greed is, we have to be careful of greed, we have to be careful of fear, and once we feel those emotions, to realize that God has no part in what is happening. This is not how He leads uh, his, uh, his people. And if uh, fear grips us and we start to make all kinds of decisions under its influence, uh, typically, we're going to live to deeply regret those uh, decisions, and Abram certainly uh, did. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare. It's always a trap. It's always leading us into a trap to, to make decisions on the basis of, uh, of the fear of man. But whoever, the verse goes on to say, whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Isaiah chapter uh, 28, verse 16, one of the great messianic passages of the Old Testament declares that whoever believes shall not act in haste. And so when there's these decisions that are being made out of fear, they're being made in terms of, of haste. Now, I'm no longer operating uh, in faith. It's a clear indication that I don't have the mind of the Lord on this decision, and, uh, and I'm, I'm beginning now to make decisions uh, rapidly. When I have the mind of the Lord, I can uh, move uh, peacefully 
and, uh, and deliberately. The only uh, healthy fear in a person's life, a Christian's life, is the fear uh, of God. And it is the, only the fear of God that protects us or saves us or delivers us from the fear of man. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples, he said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. Fear him, speaking of God, who uh, after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, Abraham, his, uh, his fear of God has been completely displaced with, with the fear uh, of, of man. And, uh, and, and here he is the, the, uh, taking his life back under his uh, own control. Now he's operating 100% out of the fear of man. And again, these, are, these applications are so personal. We recognize these things from our own lives. We recognize the same temptations. We recognize, certainly I do, in my own uh, life, looking back and seeing where I've made um, these mistakes. And, uh, and seen how they have ended badly. And uh, so I wonder this morning if there might not be uh, some of us listening here who are currently in the middle of making one decision after another on the basis of fear uh, of the circumstances or the fear of a person uh, within, the, within the circumstance, just being driven by that rather than decisions being made on the basis of knowing uh, God's will as it's been revealed to us in prayer. And if we're being driven by fear today to just stop and again to realize God never uses fear or guilt to guide us in His will, it'll always be a bad decision. Now, one of the interesting things about uh, Abram's sin here in terms of fear uh, is that he is failing here in the area of uh, one of the great strengths in his life. Uh, Abram, ultimately to become Abraham, is a name change. He's the same person. He's ultimately going to become known as the father of faith. Uh, in the scriptures, and you read about Abraham, faith, 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 and he and he really was a man of faith, and and in so many uh, ways, and and one of the great uh, examples of faith in the Bible. And yet here he succumbs to f- uh, fear in a massive uh, uh, way, and this is why Oswald Chambers, in his devotional, uh, "My Utmost for His Highest." Uh, He warns us in one of his devotionals there always to uh, remain on guard concerning our strengths. Uh, We tend to stay on guard and diligent related to what we recognize are weaknesses in our lives as Christians. And then we can drop our guard uh, related to what we deem to be uh, strengths. And here is exactly what he's done here and our strengths need to be something that we watch as well. Uh, Oswald Chambers put it this way, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. 
And it really, really is. Uh, Paul put it this way. He said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. A fourth thing, and there's only 70, so just uh, relax here, uh, that we want to learn from Abram's blunder is that if we ever find ourselves um, feeling like uh, we need to deceive uh, or to lie uh, two people uh, in order to move a plan forward, then something's wrong with that plan. Uh, that that's a plan that should be abandoned immediately because God never moves anything forward on the basis of deception uh, or on the basis of, uh, of lies. He doesn't need to, to do that. And Abram here, he calls uh, on his wife uh, to lie in order to advance his plan. And, uh, and some of you who know the passage uh, well, you say, well, it was a half lie because uh, they really were brother and sister. Uh, Abram and Sarai were half brothers, half sisters. They, they shared the same father but different mothers. And so here you could have the technicality uh, of the fact, well, they, were, they just didn't tell the whole truth about the marriage bit, but the brother-sister thing, and who needed to go into all of the details about it? And, uh, uh, but, uh, but here he, he makes up this lie, completely indefensible and uh, a deliberate attempt on his part uh, to deceive. Now, uh, we're told uh, how Abram's plan worked out there in verses 14 through 20. Sure enough, they go into Egypt. Uh, her beauty is immediately recognized, uh, exactly as he uh, expected. And, uh, but not just by, you know, Joe Schmo in Egypt. Uh, the princes of Pharaoh of the royal household become aware of her beauty as well, and they inform Pharaoh of her and then tell, tell him that he ought, she ought to be made his wife, brought into his, uh, to his harem. And that's exactly what he did, as we're told in verse 15. And then uh, as, uh, as if things the, if it could not get any worse in terms of this plan they do, as I said, Sarah not only gets noticed, but noticed by Pharaoh himself. And she goes into Pharaoh's harem. Now put yourself in Abram's shoes. And put yourself in her shoes. I mean, think about the emotion. Think about how they just have, their, their, their heads just have to be spinning. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. This can't be happening. What in the, and how are we going to get, and all of that. And then you stop and you look at what is recorded for us concerning Abram here, and we ask ourselves, how is his plan holding up now? And now, at this moment, a little bit further down the road from his decision-making, don't you think he would give his right arm to be back in Canaan, famine or no famine, to be back in uh, the will of God, even as hard as that will might be, uh, it, 
the hardship of that pales in comparison to the hardship that we can introduce into our own life by moving out from under the will of God and plan for our lives. And Abram watches all of this, watches his wife go into another man's harem. He allows it to happen uh, to Sarai. And uh, again, it's just the, uh, 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 the worst nightmare uh, for both of them. And I think this speaks to what a person uh, can become if we depart from God's plan and His purposes for our lives. I'm convinced that if we abandon God's call and His purposes for our lives, I'm certainly convinced of it concerning myself, that we can become unrecognizable. We, we have the, the capacity to become uh, a person we never thought we could become. And the call of God is not only something God uses to advance His purposes through our lives, but it is something that protects us from what we would become otherwise. And in all of these uh, actions of, uh, of Abram to put his wife in this kind of jeopardy, much less to the plans of God that he had attached to their lives, completely indefensible. And we're told that Pharaoh uh, treated Abram well as, as Sarah's brother. <laughs> all the stuff that got lavished upon him there in verse 16, and yet he's got all these donkeys and all these mules, and he's got all these camels, and he's got all these servants and, and all of it. Do you think he ever enjoyed uh, 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 for a moment any of them knowing his wife was in uh, where she was? And... I think he just had to be tied up in knots. I'm just tormented, tormented by what he had thrown away, his marriage, wondering how he could get out of this and wondering how he was going to live with himself for the rest of his life after doing all of this. And then while this absolute nightmare that you you cannot believe that you're in the middle of, you cannot believe that it is is true, that you're living it as it's it's unfolding. Everything looks completely lost. I mean, it looks as if there's no hope of a rescue at all. In verse 17, God steps in, not only to protect uh, Sarai and Abram, but to protect his call upon uh, their lives to make a great nation of them and to bless the whole world through their bloodline of a Savior. And God smote, uh, Pharaoh smote his whole household with uh, severe plagues. And uh, all of a sudden this illness comes in, whatever it might be, we're not told what it is, uh, but certainly one aspect of it would certainly have ensured that uh, Pharaoh had no sexual intimacy with Sarai, which is made uh, clear um, in, in verse 19 as well. And as the, the entire household, Pharaoh himself, begins to get sick one after another, each one of them plagued, uh, being a superstitious people in the ancient world, they would begin to wonder, when did all of this uh, start to happen? What change occurred in our life that would have brought uh, this kind of thing into our life? And they traced it back to the introduction of Sarai uh, into the harem. Probably it didn't help that she was completely untouched by the plague, evidently. And uh, immediately, uh, Pharaoh and, uh, understands what has happened here, calls her and confronts her, and she confesses the entire truth. 
And, uh, and God rises up uh, to protect His promises and to protect His purposes for them, and He does so in our own life. Second Timothy chapter 2, this is a faithful saying. If we died with Him, what, uh, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, uh, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And here we see the grace of God uh, toward Abram and Sarah on, on full display. And uh, that idea that our Christian service, the standard, isn't perfection. Uh, in serving the Lord, we see in them it isn't one strike and you're out, that kind of thing, but that God is a God of second chances. And that can be in the world to hear in our hearts uh, if we're in, in need of hearing that today. And someone might protest, you know, you talk about the fact that God is the God of second chances and He bails people out of situations even like this, and, and you're just going to produce sloppy, grace-abusing uh, servants of God. Let me ask you, has God ever gotten you out of a major pickle that you didn't deserve to get gotten out of and you knew that He was the only one who could do so and then He did it? It doesn't make us want to put ourselves or Him in that place again. It makes us love Him all the more. It makes us desire to obey Him all the more. It makes us commit to His will for our lives uh, all the more. And if the truth uh, was made known about each and every one of us, every single Christian, every single servant of the Lord, if the truth about us was made known to the whole world as it's known by God, everyone would know that our Christian lives and our Christian service uh, are a result of the grace of God. They are to the praise of the glory of His grace. And God did allow for Abram to be humbled here. Some necessary humiliation on his part as Pharaoh rebukes him, confronts him with his sin, and the idea is that Pharaoh is appalled. He cannot, he looks at Abram and he looks at a man and he looks at him and, and the idea is, I can't believe that any man would do what you just did to your wife. And I mean, he's very, very diminished in the, in the eyes of Pharaoh, and rightfully so. And Pharaoh so distrusts Abram at this point that he not only uh, gives him his wife back and tells him to leave the land, but he provides an armed escort to take them out of the land and, and out of the land of Egypt, maybe fearing a little bit of the judgment of God because he, he recognized that God was involved with these people. And if you ever find yourself in that place, situations in our lives where, where we look at them and and, uh, and, and I think most of us have been in this place where a pure pagan has conducted themselves better than us in some particular meeting or circumstance. Um, it's, uh, it's an unpleasant feeling, but we learn something from it. And, the, and Abram didn't try to witness to him at that point. That's a bad, that's not the right time to do that. When you've been put down, sit down. Let God take care of his reputation uh, an, another time. 
But, he, but Abram doesn't defend himself in any way uh, at all. And, and uh, Abram then, we're told in, in those four verses of chapter 13, Abram returned to the land uh, of Canaan. This represented repentance on his part, sincere repentance, turning back to God's will for his life. And then he returned to the altar, verse 3, that he had erected to God between Bethel and Ai. And then in verse 4, we're told that he called upon the name of the Lord. And so here, without a doubt, he confesses his sin to the Lord. And uh, he, he communes with God there. He renews his uh, commitment to God, uh, God's call upon his life, and, and uh, asking for a fresh start and all of which God did for Abram, and uh, astonishingly in His grace, and which He's eager to do for us as well. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, someone might think, what else would uh, Abram do in this kind of a circumstance? I'll tell you what the a temptation can be for the embarrassment to be so great uh, in terms of the land of Egypt and so great in terms of his wife that he just says, this failure is so humiliating. I have so surprised myself in what has happened here that I am abandoning God's purposes for my life. He could never use me after this. I'm going to go back to Ur of the Chaldees, I'm going to go back there, earn a living there, lay low for the rest of my life. And that's a real temptation after a failure like this. And yet he doesn't do it. It would have been the easiest thing for him to do in some respects, but instead he learns the lessons he needs to learn uh, here in this chapter in his life, and then he continued in God's call upon his life. And God could have removed him, but God didn't. And we're not free to remove ourselves from Christian service if God has not removed us, however great our blunders or however great our, our sins. And God then is a marvel. He proceeded to use and to bless Abram to such a degree that when we think of Abram, if we weren't reading this passage this morning, when we think of Abram, this chapter in his life, never comes to our mind. And God had a plan for the rest of his life that would completely bury the greatness of this failure in terms of how greatly and graciously God would ultimately use him. And the same thing that is true of Abram is true of us as well. If we give God a chance, uh, if we will take him up on his offer of a second chance, He'll always work to so overwhelm our failures as to make them virtually forgotten in the light of His further use of us. And so we close with this simple uh, thought here. And as important as what the life of Abram teaches us here from this passage for our, our own lives, uh, we have never uh, sufficiently mined a passage of Scripture uh, until we see what it reveals to us about God. And Christian service can be a messy business, 
and it's filled with all kinds of mistakes and blunders, try as we might to avoid them. But thankfully, the God that we serve in all of it is a gracious God. And He is gracious to chasten us, to protect us, to forgive us, and then to restore us. And it's important never to forget that when God saved us and He called us into His service, that He never lose sight, loses sight of what we so often lose sight of. And that is that when He got us, He knew He was getting a project and that it would be messy and that He's up to uh, the challenge. And so uh, the greatness of God's grace uh, astonishing grace when you take the greatness of the sin, the blunder, the, the one bad decision after another, and you put it over here on one side, and yet God's grace was even greater. And what is true of Abraham under that old covenant is even more true of us as Christians. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer. Father, we acknowledge as we stand before you this morning that everything about our lives and everything about our Christian service is to the praise of the glory of your grace. And for that grace, Father, we give you deep, deep thanksgiving, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.